0: Hello everybody, my name is Top of Hatt, and it is my pleasure to inform you that you're about to listen to the Right on Track podcast. All aboard!
1: Evening, good afternoon, greetings and salutations. Welcome to the Ride on Track podcast. My name is Connor Jonas, but I am never joined alone. Arriving right now with the wonderful Caroline,
2: the cricketer and critic himself. That that would be me, would it? Tom Parry, is that me? Yes. Hello. Uh... Connor, it is so good to be back with you, and of course, it's also good to be here with my good pal, Tom Denham. Hello. Hi, (laughs) Denham. It's good to be here. Always
3: good to be here.
1: But it is not just the three of us. We are now joined by the wonderful musical maestro himself, Headmaster Hastings.
4: Hello there. Hello, listeners. How are you going today? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. It's, it's it's very hot, but it's a good day. It's hot
2: in Canada? Seriously? Yeah,
4: but but, but that's
1: like it's oh, saying yeah. cold in
2: Australia. Which, which it is today. Hmm. Actually, it, it is winter here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's cold in Australia today. So, opposite sides of the world, but we are still joined by one thing. And that is our love for the little blue tank engine and the many stories around him. Yes, this is Ryan Troy podcast where we cover everything Thomas and Friends and the Railway Series. And in episode 35 today, we're going to be covering three
2: wonderful episodes. Harry, what are they? Well, Connor, today we're going to be covering, from series five, the stories Bar, Put Upon Percy and Toby and the Flood. I enjoy all of these stories enormously. I'm very much looking forward to talking about them.
1: Fantastic. So, I guess we should get right on into it, shouldn't we?
2: Uh, I guess we should. But, um, yeah, before we do jump into our very first story, I think it's probably worth introducing Headmaster Hastings to our listeners who aren't familiar with the maestro. And, um, yeah, as we've done with all our guests, asking, you know, everything we can about him. So, Hastings... We begin by asking all of our guests: um, Where did your love of Thomas and Friends originate? Um,
4: I think, like most people, it it started when I was very young. Uh, you know, I I watched the the, the tapes. I, I mostly grew up with seasons three to five, and a lot of which is being covered in this episode, actually. And yeah, like like my my uh, my appreciation for Thomas started when I was when I was like three
2: or four. Yes, like it does for oh, most people, really. Hastings, do you have a earliest memory of Thomas or a fondest memory of watching the show growing up? Oh my, my earliest memory, I
4: think, is um, uh, what's the the season three episode? Um, uh. Uh Trust Thomas, I think. Uh-huh. It's it's uh it's 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 yeah, it's it's the accident from, from Trust Thomas, the the, 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 the the my earliest memory. And like
1: and like I mean that accident is really memorable because you've got the yeah. music that goes along with it. And, yeah. and then of course
4: it's it, it's just a really almost good almost kinda classical
1: too.
3: Yes it is. Yeah. What I'm interested in asking you, uh, Hastings, is uh, what inspired you to begin... For those who don't know, uh, Headmaster Hastings does a lot of uh, musical compositions that you can find on SoundCloud and YouTube based on Thomas themes and songs. What is it that inspired you to uh, begin to make these happen?
4: It was actually about a, a, a few years ago when i'd recently rediscovered the show as an adult after having forgotten about it for years and then and then and then as an adult with you know previous musical experience having written some songs and played in bands like hearing the music again with more grown up ears i realized that hey this is pretty darn good yeah it is and then <laughs> yeah and then and then I thought it would be fun to to make uh, covers and and my own arrangements of them. Yeah, like like I thought that would be like, especially after having seen a lot of the great stuff that you know, like uh, Mavis M makes or that Isaiah makes or or like Sudry and Afro. I, I I was always really big fans of those people,
1: and and now you are working alongside them in many wonderful music, but what one thing I feel that really makes you stand out is, apart from doing your own covers uh, music-wise of the songs, putting them in different styles and whatnot, you actually also make the lyrics and sing them yourself to fit in with the song. Yeah,
4: well, because I mean, I, I can sing, I, I have a condenser mic that uh, you know so so why not and 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 it's fun you know like uh like brainstorming different harmonies to put together around these melodies and it, it, it's 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 a lot of it, it's it's a great time
3: and that definitely comes across really strongly in uh re-renditions yep. that you've done of um the snow song or gone fishing for instance it definitely um Adds an element that we haven't had in the uh musical Thomas community before. No doo-wop and Thomas music, hey, eh?
1: <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. doo works really <laughs> well for
4: Thomas. And it fits in with the era as well of the show at times. You know what? You know, I think part of it is also because, like, outside of the Thomas music, like, Mike and... Uh, Mike and Junior themselves were part of that music scene in the the 60s and 70s. Mm. So that reflects on a lot of the music that they write, even for Thomas, I think.
1: Mm. Even with all the synths and whatnot that the show has, it does have the sometimes 60s theme. Like, a a perfect example is Percy's theme. It's got a very... uh, do what tune to it, I
4: feel. Yeah, I think it's kinda more like uh like a traditional like like uh like big band kinda thing. Mm.
1: And especially James's theme. Like I mean, if you
4: want jazz, it's James. Yeah that suits uh James's character too. He's got style. He's a cool cat. He's got pizzazz.
1: You like jazz? <laughs> Fantastic. Well, from that, we'll move on to our first clip and first episode of the day, which is BAH! Exclamation point. And the clip we're covering here is there is a competition going on on the wonderful Isle of Sodor about stations, and Thomas, Percy and Toby discuss some of their favourites.
5: The engines were excited. "'My favourite station is Fafarqua, said Thomas. "'Mine's Maythwaite,' said Toby. "'Percy, what's yours?' "'Percy was too tired to think properly. "'The docks,' he murmured. "'Huh!' sniffed Thomas. "'We can tell!' Toby laughed. "'The docks are full of fish, not flowers.' "'All right, then. Arlesdale End,' said Percy. "'That's my home,' replied Toby. "'That's why I like it, especially when you're there and not here saying I'm silly. "'Good night!' Now, to give credit to Percy, the docks is
3: technically a station.
4: Yeah, trains stop there.
3: It is, it's true. I think this uh, clip that we've just shown here is a perfect example, as we have spoken about in series 5 before, about how well written and witty some of the dialogue is, and all the interjections that um, the main cast have is so spot on.
2: Yes. Mm, I mean, the roundtable discussions have been one of the highlights of Series 5, throughout Series 5 and um, yeah, it's always a joy to hear these engines interacting with each other and there's yet more to come. There are so many stories that we haven't covered yet which do this exact same thing, so yeah, plenty more to look forward to there.
1: Not only that, a lot of them were actually filmed at the same time because of course they had the set set up, so... A lot of the engines are in the same berths, with the same faces, with the same crew milling around them, in the same place.
3: And it feels like a sense of routine (laughs) Mm. as well. It is, it really does.
2: Mm. Those who uh, recall, when we talked to Rob Gould-Gallia's last season, he mentioned that the sets took a long time to construct and put down. So yes, often they will record the scenes for multiple episodes at one time, because, you know doing everything in sequence was just too expensive and too difficult. Okay. Now that we've got that out of the way, I think we should do a quick plot summary. As we heard in the clip, there's a special award for the best dressed station. Percy has been working very hard and is really too tired to think at this point. He's has a little stoush with Toby, shall we say. And it's after that that Percy is tasked with decorating Maevewaite Station. Uh, And on his journeys to and from Maevewaite, he comes across a goat. I believe it's a goat, isn't it? It's called a ram in the show. Oh, it's a ram. Okay, so it's a big male sheep. And it uh, causes a little bit of confusion and delay, but not too much. And... Much later in the story, there's a commotion at Mayfwaite station, things are broken, the plants are upturned and all over the platform, and the passengers and the station master believe that the ram is responsible, but as it happens, it was not the ram's fault, it was the fault of three naughty schoolboys.
1: who had been vandalising the station, which is actually inspiration for this story. For when uh, David Maidment, um, a friend of the show, and provided many of
2: season five's stories and
1: inspiration.
2: Officially, he is the railway consultant for series five. Yes, yes,
1: yes. When David Maidment Mm -hmm. was the railway consultant for series five, uh, at his time as the station master at Aberbeig, um, when a ram inhabited the disused Lenhileth station, um, who attacked any vandals who trespassed into his new domain. Ha 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 ha! And that is one of my favourite things about this episode: on how the ram has got such a personality, despite not saying a word, and only being really seen twice, three times, if you include the
3: end of the episode. Thinking about this, Thomas, um, as a TV series, definitely has some strong animal characters. Like, we think about Gremlin the dog. We have uh, Mm. Donald's duck, Dilly. Yep, Champion the bull. Yeah. Uh, Bluebell the calf.
2: Yes, let's not forget her. All these,
1: like, honestly, despite being a show talking about talking trains, they do their animals really well.
2: Mm, um The vocal performance is less so, but let, let's not get into that right now. We don't discuss the vocal performances <laughs> of the
1: animal. I don't want to hurt her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely <laughs> terrifying at times. But yes... Um, now, there are a few interesting things about this episode. Um, one note I would like to point out is it has begun one of the longest running discussions here on the podcast.
2: Uh Aha. Yes, it has. During
1: the round table scene and the discussion you just heard in the little audio bunt there, Thomas refers to his favourite station... For Farquhar. Now, at the very early beginnings of this podcast, we had a long discussion about this. Mm. (laughs) About the pronunciation. (laughs) Now, Hastings, how do you pronounce uh, the station that Thomas stops at in the beginning intro credit scene
2: of the episodes? Uh, Farquhar. There it is. That, there we are. So hmm. Hastings only pronounces the, the one F rather than the two. Um, it's merely a stutter. Because well, that's I, I believe... what I've heard like in other places. So I just well, assume that's the, the right way. It was the same with me. I've been told it was only with the one F. Uh, Audrey, I believe, expressed it as only the one F. Uh, I also took inspiration from the Welsh language, where often they have double-lettered words which are almost unpronounceable, and yet they would only pronounce the one letter in that name. And Connor, our friend Connor Jonas, on the other hand, is of the belief that the way it is pronounced in this particular story is canon, and therefore that's how it should be pronounced.
1: I will say... I was young and naive <laughs> at the start of the podcast. Okay, I've come to understand mm-hmm. that it is Farquhar, and Thomas merely has a stutter,
4: <laughs> or is an absolute moron. Either one works. You know what, guys? Mm. I, I've I've always thought that um that that uh that that Thomas said um well mines for Farquhar. Uh, oh, So that's
1: his crazy. vote is for Farquhar.
4: Yeah, that's what I assumed.
1: That would make so much sense.
2: So rather than the pronouncing the two S, swaps, he's, what he's done is abbreviated for and pronounced Farquhar as normal.
3: He was so excited to say it that he said for really quickly.
2: Well, there we are. Mystery solved. Hastings, well done, yeah. and thank you. Problem solved.
3: You've settled an ongoing discussion.
1: Thank you. I can I can finally sleep now.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, you've got a massive backs on your eyes. <laughs> oh,
4: wow. It's like solving the Da Vinci
0: code. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Before... I'm
3: amazed anymore. Um <laughs> Wow, okay. Speaking oh. of stations, this is a uh debut for Maithwaite Station as well. Is it now?
1: Yes. Yes, Maithwaite Station, uh, which is supposedly uh on Thomas's branch line near Ellsbury. Um, despite the fact that we see James there or Gordon or Spencer or even think Hero a few times um, throughout the show's history. So I'm not inclined to believe it is supposed to be on Thomas's branch line.
2: Well, actually, in the original Railway Series books, there is a place on Sodor called Marthwaite, and I believe it's on Duck's branch line. It is near Duck's branch line, Mathway.
1: However, uh, that is, uh, used to be part of the Midsodal Railway and is now part of the Arlesdale Railway.
2: Aha. Uh-huh. There.
3: Here's what I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, going off the ever-so-reliable Thomas to Tank Engine Wikia, Mayfweight is on Thomas's branch line and is located between Ellsbridge and Hackenbeck. Now, Ellsbridge... Connects with the main line. Yes. Is it fair to say that the main line connection is sustained from Ellsbridge to Maithwaite? Then the two lines diverge. It, it very well could, could be,
1: especially throughout the later depictions of Maithwaite Station, because in series six, it gains a second platform and it is double lined, except here in series five, It has only got one platform and it's also got a little siding where Percy actually has a little rest in there. has time time for a snooze. snooze. (laughs) So I do understand the idea, but it would depend on what depiction of... uh, Maithwaite you go with. Whether you go with its earliest depiction as a single-platform station with a little siding next to it, or you go for the longest-running depiction of it having two platforms and two tracks going through it?
3: I have a theory that Maythwaite was originally exclusive to Thomas's branch line, but with population growth in this particular area of Sodor, they later decided to add the second platform and allow the main line to run through so as to create more uh, opportunities for commuting on the main line and Thomas's Lane. It very well could be that the uh, main
1: line does run through, or the main line loop, the connecting part to Ellsbridge Station, does run through Maithwaite. However, It may just be that it doesn't stop there. And in its earlier depictions, um, it didn't have a passing loop because it was a single platform station. However, as population growth occurred, however, as population growth occurred, they then needed to add a passing loop to Maythwaite Station to ease up congestion.
3: Looking at the, uh, the picture difference between the Series 5 iteration and the later iteration, I am more partial to its uh, earliest version. It's wonderful. But this episode isn't really
1: just about Maythwaite. It is mostly surrounding the best-dressed station competition. That is what sets the plot in motion.
2: Well, in fairness, it's kind of like a MacGuffin, because the real conflict is uh, involving the ram and what happens to the station.
1: Uh, But there are plenty of wonderful details in this episode. Um, I, you know, I really enjoy uh, Percy's more industrial kind of look when he's covered in these silver specks as he's been working hard at the docks. Um, we see a large scale duck model again is as he's used as yet another podium for Sir Topham. It's becoming a trend. It is. Yeah. But Duck doesn't say anything. We never see him again after this.
2: Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold, hold on, hold on. He appears in Double Teething Troubles.
1: No, no, no. no, no, no. Yes, uh, I mean in the episode.
2: Oh in, the, oh, in this story. Right, sorry. In Thank this episode,
1: he doesn't appear again. Right. The big issue here, well, my question is, did Sir Topham just ask Duck... Da- <clears throat> my big question here is, did Sir Topham just ask Duck to the sheds so he could act as a podium for him?
2: I would say yes, because he is the only engine there with a flat body or flattish body which with which you can stand on. But why? Here's what I like to
3: think. I think Duck is a pretty reliable and agreeable engine. So I think prior to him maybe obtaining Winston and a long time before then, I reckon Duck would have been his chauffeur engine in between jobs. That's a very good headcanon. Thank you.
1: And it would make sense, especially because uh, Duck working on the Little Western, of course, would have some more time with Oliver, Donald and Douglas working on it. The Little Western does run um, in railway series to Tidmouth, and I believe in the TV series it
4: technically runs to um, Knapford. It, yeah, it does kind of make sense like like the idea of of the fat controller using duck kind of as like 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 a valet on on the rails.
1: Not not only that, but duck the, the Pannier tank uh, which duck is is a very strong and reliable engine. It's also very light. So duck could very much go anywhere on the island with standard go Gauge rails
4: without
1: any issues.
4: I also think too that like 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 the fat controller and his uh, assistance, like like standing on duck, is is probably better and probably safer than 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 what he did uh, previously. Like uh, in 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 the first four seasons, he he stood on a on a barrel.
1: Yeah, b- b- barrel isn't really that safe, but. A barrel of
5: oil, yeah
3: (laughs) And speaking from experience Standing on a steam engine Is probably not the most uh, Best place to be Um, But it is handier Uh, I am an engine cleaner So I have reason to be standing there Yes, thank you for clearing Uh, that up (laughs) Uh, But It is handier When they have side tanks To Mm. stand on
2: Mm. As Duck does
3: now, um,
1: of course, we have the deliberation at the sheds. Percy has a hard day at work collecting a whole bunch of cabbages and pumpkins and fruits and vegetables and flowers to decorate Maith to <clears throat> to decorate Maithwaite Station. Uh, Percy spots Harold along his journey, uh, where there's a little bit of continuation. <clears throat> sorry. Percy spots Harold along his journey, where there's a little bit of continuation with Percy and Harold, or Percy and Harold's race, Uh, all the way back in series two, was it?
2: Yep, that's right. They first were introduced to each other in series two, of course, in the story Percy and Harold.
1: And it's amazing that we're still getting these references all the way back then. Mm. where Percy then encounters the troublesome Ram, Mm. who was just milling on the track, and thankfully the driver was able to lure him or her out of the way. Actually, it would be him, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, it would be, because uh, Rams generally are male.
1: Yes, it's in the name (laughs) Ram. Yes. I don't know what you are talking about. Now... (laughs) <laughs> uh when Percy reaches Maithwaite station, the stationmaster knows of the Ram already. And I want to know the
0: story there.
2: Well, um I imagine that he's caused trouble before. He's done, you know, um Well well the story is from the Stationmaster is that this Ram is always hungry. I mean if you Surely, on a place like the island of Sodor, where the population is so small, you would hear a story about a ram who eats always and eats anything. It sounds a bit like me. <laughs> I don't know, kind of. Maybe it's just because you're a city slicker and I'm a country boy. Who knows? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I do understand where you're coming from there on how, you know,
1: smaller population... A ram that's always hungry, story making its way around, could make sense. But then that does beg the question: who owns the ram, and why aren't they looking after it? Aha!
2: That is the question.
1: Nearby farmer,
3: possibly.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a a, a valid question, actually. Farmer the cold, maybe. <laughs> There's a lot of farmers on Sodor who have uh, uh, animal, like who who have livestock that go astray often. I guess.
1: Yeah, I feel like that there needs to be actually better regulations, um, especially to condemn and punish farmers that haven't looked after.
3: Farmer McCall, go to your shed. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Where you raised in a barn? <laughs>
1: Of course, after this, um, there is commotion at the station as Percy has a snooze. And everyone first believes it is the Ram who has knocked over all the wonderful decorations. However, the Ram isn't to blame here. It is three troublesome schoolboys who the Ram has imprisoned inside the waiting room. Never underestimate a Ram. Which I absolutely adore on how... Not only has this ram got attitude, it's
4: smart.
2: And it's got a social conscience.
4: Exactly. It, it's an upstanding member of our community. I think, though, maybe also the ram probably thinks that he owns the place. Yeah, it's his station now. Ah,
2: yes, that's a possibility.
1: Um... They do. Cats own wherever they are. It's the inherent <laughs> nature
2: of the cat. <clears throat> and then, of course, end of the episode. Happy ending. If by happy if by happy ending you mean the fat controller gets his hat eaten.
1: Happy ending. <clears throat> uh Maithwaite Station wins the competition. And the fat controller uh gives a pumpkin to the ram as a thank you gift in a big ceremony and the ram is very patiently behaving until harold knocks the fat controller's hat off and the ram then eats it
2: uh, what i particularly love about that scene is when harold's flying in the fat controller's minders, who are usually always standing either side of him hold on to their caps Whereas the Fat Controller just has this really surprised look on his face and his top hat just flies off. <laughs> Which, of
1: course, continues a gag in the show when a ram eats the Fat Controller's hat. Which yes. first appeared in the Series 1 episode, Henry, Edward and Gordon, or whatever
2: order it is pronounced in. Edward, Gordon and Henry. Edward,
1: Gordon and Henry. I couldn't have messed it up more. now there is one thing i dislike about this episode because it's got a it's got a wonderful plot it's got great you know character uh beautiful sets i especially love season five
2: however it feels too short to me that's interesting because i'm of the belief that it almost feels too long it kind of Takes a long time to wind up and get to the good part of the story. I think just yeah. enough happens.
4: <laughs> yeah, I kind of think it's it's like compared to some other stuff in the season, this episode kind of feels like a like like a like a throwaway kind of afterthought.
5: Mm.
2: mm I'd also argue that it's kind of got this very early Thomas vibe to it. It almost feels like it's an adaptation of an Audrey story, even though it's completely original.
4: Yeah, it does have that kind of feeling with, you know, the, the sass that Percy gives Toby and the the, the, the bits about the, the, the kids who are causing trouble. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. And of course, it being based on uh, the true story from David Maidman,
4: mm. Mm. it it
1: does feel like a very railway series story, but even in that case... Like I feel that bar exclamation point doesn't feel as engaging as other stories, uh, case in point put upon Percy, the next episode uh, that we'd review that has got so much in it. However, it is in the same time frame and bar exclamation point feels like it takes a third of the
3: time. I quite like the idea of it being, I guess, um, lower in grandiose scale and as you guys coin, very Railway series S, because you've got to remember that this is the first series to deviate away from... Audrey's source material so the creative team are probably being very deliberate in the sense that they don't want to stray too far from that too soon so they've got a good measure of these epic stories but they've also got these really kind of nice subtle stories in there like this one
4: yeah it's definitely like like smaller scale and, and kind of more underwhelming compared to the others but i don't think it's bad No, it's definitely not bad. No.
2: Mm. Mm,
1: Definitely not. Well, okay then, Hastings. What are your rankings for this episode?
4: It's good. It's not really my favourite. Three out of five, I guess.
1: Three out of five, which would be a six out of ten.
3: Brilliant. Denim? Hmm. Well, I'm a man of few words. Um... Hmm. I'm going to give it a six as well.
1: And, yeah, I'm going to agree. It's a six out of ten. It is a good episode. It is by no means a bad episode. It's a quaint episode, much like the very station, Maythwaite.
2: Okay, that just leaves me to give my rating then. Um, I have to say, I enjoy it a lot more than everybody else does. So, on this occasion... Um, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I do enjoy it quite a bit. I think that the conflict between Percy and Toby, it feels really tacked on. So it it feels kind of out of place in the grand scheme of the story and all that. But it's still one I really enjoy. I do enjoy how it's paced, even though it is really slowly. I enjoy the humour. Um, so yeah, it's a 7 out of 10. It's not going to be a perfect Percy... On this occasion, I'm so sorry, everybody, but we came close.
1: That's fair. That's a good... Uh, three sixes and a seven for bar Exclamation point. And then we lead on to the second
2: episode of today, which is... Well, it is none other than Put Upon Percy. I'm very excited to talk about this one. And in the clip, you're... You are about to hear. Percy is working in a coal mine and he is being asked to help an unruly set of trucks to head down into the mines below.
5: The trucks are stuck on the mechanism. All they need is a good shove. We'll do it right away. Percy shunted back to where a large canvas barrier was used to protect his line from loose rocks. Percy charged at the line of trucks. Too fast and too hard. Oh, no! Asked Percy. The trucks broke free but ran out of control to the mines below. On, on, faster, faster, the silly trucks yelled. Then there was trouble again. (laughs) Get out of here fast! The mine's collapsing!
2: Hmm, I wonder whether that canvas barrier will help later in the story. Who knows? Hmm. Uh, Mm. (laughs) Anyhow, um, yeah, this is absolutely extraordinary, this episode, because it's probably the most action packed and the most perilous. Story we've seen so far in Thomas Thomas and Friends. I also gotta say too, um,
4: uh, 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 one of the notes I made for this episode is that um, uh, this episode, like many others in season five, uh, David Mitten really flexes the the skills for practical effects he learned while on the set of Thunderbirds. I think.
2: Yeah. Oh. For sure, I mean, some of the effects here, particularly with the mine collapsing, are absolutely extraordinary. Yeah.
4: Oh, guys, you know what? I saw a a behind the scenes documentary of Thunderbirds where they're explaining how they film like uh, like miniature carnage and explosions. Like they film it with slow motion cameras. Yes, they do. Because you know, like something that's smaller takes like a second to fall down, but like, like, but like, like slow motion makes models look bigger, you know,
2: and heavier. Actually, actually, come to think of it, now I mentioned before the Kansas barrier when we actually see the avalanche engulfing Percy. Yeah, that, that's slow motion. And you don't recognise that when watching the show. You just think to yourself, oh, this is like a really big accident. But, yeah.
1: Yeah, that would have to be slow motion. And it looks very heavy and wait, even though it would just be a few... That's really interesting.
2: There we go. The more you know. But, yes.
1: So, the story so far. Denim, give us the rundown.
3: So, Percy is feeling put upon by his work. He has so many duties and he has a busy day. He collects metal from the foundry, coal from the yards, flour from the mills, rock from the quarry and fuel from the depot, takes it all to the docks and everybody can see what's being put upon him. But the work continues when he goes to the mine to uh, rescue some trucks, um, he gives them a biff but it gives him too hard of a push and led by scruffy who uh, i guess has been um uh what's the word suspended uh from service and uh put in isolation here <laughs> uh they uh, roll down into the deep mines And they hit one of the supports holding up uh, the roof of the mine. And the whole mine collapses, resulting in a huge explosion and an avalanche, which uh, buries Percy. Mm,
2: I I remember seeing this episode on TV many, many years ago. And it's this particular crash, you know, Scrappy running into the pillar, the coal collapsing on top of him, that has stuck with me through all these years.
3: I remember it very vividly as well. It's one of those episodes that sticks with you. And having seen the series live when it came out on TV, it was definitely one of those ones that kind of sustained in my early uh, memories of what you could call new Thomas.
2: Mm. Hmm. And also there's a slight connection here because uh, the Barry Truck, who is one of the guests we've had before on the podcast, he is... Canadian, like Hastings, our guest today, Yay. and uh, we do see, or, or, or rather, the scene in which uh, Scrubby heads down to the mine, gets buried by coal. That's the inspiration for the buried truck's online username, because he becomes a truck buried in coal. <laughs>
3: oh.
2: There you go. Oh yes certainly. Oh, that's good. <laughs> now,
3: jumping off that, do we believe that this particular truck is indeed Scruffy?
2: Well, I mean, it uses the same face as Scruffy, but he hasn't got his distinctive, um, paintwork or anything like that on the side. So I would say, no, it's not Scruffy. It's just another troublesome truck.
4: You know, this makes me think, cause, cause, uh, it, I heard, uh, I heard you say earlier that, uh, the truck was scruffy, and it got me thinking, and I don't know, I, I don't really think it is, because after scruffy was destroyed, like, I don't think the fat controller was willing to waste time and money, like, 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 putting, you know, such, uh, an infernal truck back together. Mm-hmm. Well, we we do see at the end of the episode,
1: Toad Stands By, that he has been rebuilt just as a wiser and more quiet
4: truck. Oh, I guess the more you know.
2: (laughs) Uh, Here we go.
3: Okay. When uh, Scruffy has been pulled apart in Toad Stands By, um, the Fat Controller says to him, maybe if we put you back together, you earn yourself a better name. Now, what if... The Fat Controller initially gave him his name back. The prior continued to go to him, so he takes away his name, paints him up as a regular truck, and puts him in a spot on the island where he's isolated away from other trucks where he can't cause any mischief but he does end up causing him, him mischief anyway as we see in this episode
4: yes and that's a an area of confusion for me because doesn't like he just like like straight up die in in the railway series
3: i think so yeah i, I believe in
1: the railway series he's just yeah. scrapped um whilst in the tv series he is rebuilt but th- there are so many different questions and points that you can argue about is this Scruffy here? Mm. Because, you know, he's been rebuilt uh, at the end of Toad Stands By, and there uh, it says that he's wiser and he doesn't cause as much trouble now, um, except he's still got the name Scruffy. Now, that name is due to him being a part of the SC Ruffy uh, Tidmouth
4: Ballast Company, Oh, that opens up a whole yeah. other can of worms. What if it's another Scruffy? Ooh. Yeah. It
1: very much could be, name-wise, that the Scruffy is just, instead of a name, is a title.
3: Maybe there's a whole brotherhood of scruffies. Ooh. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I'm a Scruffy. Oh, there's a whole idea for an episode there,
1: but then the thing is, is of course it, it does use the same face, but then it, of course we've got people like Bullstruck, which is a truck with Bullstrode's face. Mm. So you know, it, it, there there comes a time when you need to draw a line between. Hey, this is a show. that have only got so many faces for the trucks. And and Scruffy's face, you know, mm, they've got multiple yeah. masks of that face which they can use in this episode.
4: Yeah, Scruffy's different too because it's one of the trucks that, that they actually bothered to give a name and its own character. Yeah. So, that yeah, that's tricky.
3: Hmm. Another neat theory could be that it could be another SC Ruffy Ballas contractor's truck that just happened to be sold to the coal mines because later hmm. on... Uh, In an episode that will later cover Double Teething Troubles, we do see another Scruffy. So it could be that a whole bunch of scruffies were sold off once they realised this one is rotten. Uh, So they quickly got rid of them and got new ones.
2: I like that idea very much because the idea that a ballast company... You know, whose very existence and whose very role is to provide ballast to the island of Sodor will only have one truck is just, quite frankly, ridiculous.
1: Having a bunch of scruffies. Uh, Of course, then that brings in the idea that technically would all these scruffies then be considered twins or brothers because they do have very similar, the same, similar faces... Between
3: all of them. One has two teeth, the other has one. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because, you know, a company uh, privately would have built them all roughly at the same time, and therefore the scruffies, as they're known, could have very similar faces, such as Bill and Ben, Donald
3: Douglas. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's no reason that they have to be twins can be more than two, which I kind of like. And then of
1: course, once there's one truck that has been pulled apart, that would be that would bring up the idea that, hey, maybe uh, our initial batch of scruffies is now not fit for original work. So the scruffy we see that is rebuilt is just the second batch of scruffies. And a whole bunch of the old scruffies were sold off to
3: other companies. And maybe at Mm -hmm. the end of Toad Stands By, when the narrator says Scruffy has learnt his lesson, maybe rather than that being the original Scruffy, maybe it's another Scruffy who's maybe been a fly on the wall, observer to the situation, and he's Mm -hmm. gone, I'm not going to mess with that great Western engine. (laughs)
1: Or, or maybe the scruffy who's learnt the lesson is the SC Ruffy company who were shirking their responsibilities in, man- in
3: maintaining their truck. Does that mean that the person who is, I guess, the manager of that company has the surname Ruffy? Simon Charles Ruffy. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm going to go away and write some fanfic after this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, enough about a singular truck.
1: Yeah, how long have we been talking about this?
3: <laughs> a, a good 10 minutes.
1: <laughs> now, um, of course, after this scruffy lookalike has caused the mine to collapse, there is an eventual
2: landslide
1: and Percy needs to quickly
2: run away. But- well, well it, it's more than that, Connor. I mean, we, first of all, there's an explosion of coal dust, which Percy gets hit in the face with, and then the avalanche start, and then the rails start buckling beneath him. In fact, he starts sinking mm. into the ground. And then, of course, there's that canvas barrier, which I've been talking about, uh, which he and his crew are able to hide under, and they get buried under that. And it's, um, it is after the... Rescue that uh, the Fat Controller hears how brave and how resourceful Percy was in the situation, and he rewards him with a new coat of paint at the works.
1: And that is something he doesn't mind being put upon him.
2: Indeed.
4: I think Percy seriously has like a lot of his best character moments in season
2: five. Absolutely, I, th- I mean there are more stories devoted to Percy in season five than there are any other character in any other series. Yes. At least from memory.
1: Yeah. Yes, series five is very much Percy's time to
3: shine. That it is. He gets the best crashes, he gets the best
2: character arcs.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, how many accidents did he have in series three?
2: Series two? Well, series two, I think he had five accidents. So there there was, um, actually, what was there? So he took the plunge into the sea, he had treacle dropped on top of him, he ran into a cart of lime... Uh, he was perched up upon a truck and I'm missing one. Oh that's right. He ran into the uh, coal mm. bunker. He also
4: got covered in jam yes and treacle.
2: Yeah that yes, that was in series three.
4: Oh yeah right. <laughs> I was I thought you were talking generally about Percy's misfortunes.
2: P-
1: Percy is a very unfortunate engine.
2: Actually, I reckon if we went back and looked at all the stories, Percy would probably be the one who's had the most accidents overall. With James a close second. Mm. Yeah. Mind you, Thomas would be up there as well.
4: Really gives new context to the title of Put Upon Percy.
0: Yeah.
4: It really does, yes.
3: I have a feeling that David um, Mitten favours Percy uh, to be pitted in the most perishable of accidents. Pitiful Percy. Ah, <sighs> pathetic. There's an idea for an episode.
1: Now... <clears throat> Uh, there are plenty of golden moments in this episode. Uh, the very start, you have the little song that Annie and Clarabel sing, uh, teasing Percy about how he is put, a- put upon, how in UK versions sound a bit like this.
5: Percy's been put upon, put upon, put upon, Percy's been put upon, poor old Percy. hee hee hee
1: And in the US versions... Sounds like this.
3: Percy's been put upon, put upon, put upon. Percy's been put upon,
1: poor
4: old Percy.
1: Which, you know, I love this tiny bit of character development with Annie and Clarabel. We've always heard them be nice and kind, but here they are being a little bit cheeky to Percy. Mm. There's also just a wonderful shot there on how Thomas initially starts underneath the camera then he pulls away and the camera moves down to replace him. It's just, this episode does so much great stuff. It's got a fantastic montage as Percy's working. And then, of course, it has got the wonderful sets of the coaling plant and mine.
2: Actually, one thing we haven't addressed yet, this coal mine, this is the first time we've seen a coal mine on the island of Sodor, no, isn't it? Not not entirely
1: true because um it was seen in trouble with trees
2: so that that was like a coal plant i believe rather than a coal mine
1: true but it is actually the same uh place same set you can see where thomas is when percy first arrives at the mine
3: what i like about the set particularly is that it feels so far removed From the very pleasing aesthetic of the Island of Sodor that we know. The Island of Sodor is very lush and green and has beautiful blue skies. And this has a lot of that far removed. And there is a reason behind
1: that. Because Sodor is lush and green. And much like the lush green trees that... uh were disagreed, disagreed upon by the Reverend Wilbert Audrey. The coaling plant is disagreed upon by Christopher Audrey. Oh, ah, Oh, this is the breaking of the Sodor law here because Sodor in all of its detailed books and notes taken by the Audrey's has not got a coal mine And that has not got any way to access coal on the island, so it needs to import all
2: of its coal. Hmm. I mean, one of the earliest stories, both in the TV series and the railway series, was James having to collect Welsh coal for Henry. Exactly.
1: And there is no coal on the island... I I sort of understand Welsh coal because that implies that Welsh coal is special and it may not be on the island. But no, they need to import their coal from the mainland in railway series lore. But here we are in the TV series with their own coal mine. So either this mine has recently been built in more modern day alternatives and it was just previously undiscovered. However, due to the size of it, I feel that they may have just rewritten history here.
2: Yeah, they're definitely rewritten history. Coal mines don't like that. Don't just pop up overnight.
1: uh, That's the question. Do you consider this coal mine to be canon? In the TV series lore, yes.
2: Well, it has to be now.
1: Mm. Because I... I'm... It being a coal mine does nothing for the story. In fact, it being a coal mine does nothing in any story it's in. Simply mm. replace coal with, you know, limestone or any other type of quarry. Mm. And every other story makes sense that it's in. It doesn't change anything. It just keeps the law. The law is the law and we can't change it. <laughs> unless there's wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff but we're not getting into
4: that
2: <clears throat> no that's not the podcast to talk about this sort of thing so um i
4: i don't i don't think that um that that the tv series is part of the same canon as as the railway series i mean it, it's the same source material sure but it's it's a i think it's an entirely different piece of media altogether Mm. which which has its own rules, I guess.
2: Hmm. And we see that even from the earliest season, where Ellsbridge Station is seen as, like, the junction for Thomas's branch line and the main line, whereas in the railway series, the junction is either Tidmouth or Natford Stations, and from there, Thomas, you know, goes off on his own.
1: Like, I mean, the thing is, is that the entire history between the two is just so mitch-mashed together, it's so confusing. It, it, yes. They're parallel universes, honestly. Mm.
3: Things mm. happen in different orders. Yeah, yeah,
4: but I, I, yeah, that's how I've always reasoned it. Because c- they're incompatible yeah. together.
1: Mm. Now, um, of course, we have now reached the crux of this episode, which is the great great climax of the collapsing Mm -hmm. mine. So, who wants to give a rundown as what happens here? Haven't I done that already? Like like we sort of have, but it is so,
2: so detailed. Uh, Okay, so in intricate detail, here's what happens. We have Percy who pushes a bunch of trucks too hard. They sort of Well, it says that they go careering down into the mines below, but what really happens is they follow the rails down through the uh, underground mine, and then they come off the tracks at a certain point. That hits a pillar. That sees the mine collapse on top of them, and that in turn sees an explosion, which, as I mentioned, hits Percy Square in the face. It's not more so
1: an explosion, um, Mm. because there is no... Flame, there is no wick, but
2: it is. Well, yes, that yeah. is correct. There's no flames. Yes, yeah, it
1: is a massive uh, it's, cloud it's of coal dust, uh, the, a plume of coal dust that explodes out from the portal mm-hmm. to the mine uh, in mm-hmm. Percy's face. And you also get the siren going mm-hmm. on in the background. You even get to see. Uh, There are these two wonderful shots where there's a rumbling sound effect and you can see the dust moving up the mine closer and closer. Mm. And I feel those two shots there really capture um, the tension of this scenario on how it is an impending, approaching danger that is strong that is powerful.
4: Yeah, I, I was I was gonna say and like like I, I know a strange thing to say as a composer, but uh, I do like that the music just stops and the the, the sound of the rocks falling and the it, the, it the, the stops landslide becoming a sound thing on Oh over.
1: look we're a show with happy background music or music that fits the situation. It is There is no music, there's no beat, no melody Mm. This is dangerous
4: and that reminds me of something that that John Williams said about about mm. film scoring Absolutely. It's like it's knowing where now
1: not to of music. course, as the coal dust ex- escapes the mine, the ground starts to give way around it, and a landslide occurs. The track starts to crumble. Mm. Percy begins to sink as he runs away. You can see him wobbling as he moves along. Um, And, you know, the music as well, you know, when they do add that music, is fantastic. And then, of course, you get Mm. uh, Percy saving the day by stopping at a canvas which is used to hold back uh, loose rocks in the mine, uh, or on the exterior of Mm. the mine. And the canvas bends over the top of Percy, and there's a wonderful shot from outside the canvas looking towards Percy, Mm -hmm. where you see the entire canvas fold over, the rocks move in to cover half the screen, and you can see one of the uh, wooden supports for the canvases actually break and peel away from the canvas itself. Meanwhile, Percy is inside this now dark place looking around frantically. Yeah. And then it stops. And you just see a big pile of rubble.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And yeah, and one implication that mm. I always uh, kind of always haunted me ever since I yes. saw it when I was a kid is like, mm. like Percy's that's driver that, you know, and Fire. only have a limited
1: time to there. breathe, and like the coal dust in there itself is very yeah you know bad for your lungs, right? But I there after the yes. you know landslide has mm. stopped is a line, and it brings to attention on how. This may be the most fatal episode of the show because it says the canvas did indeed save them, but the miners didn't know that. Oh
4: yeah, totally.
1: Which means that the miners thought that they weren't on a rescue mission entirely; they thought they were on corpse recovery. And, and you then need to go back to the idea on where were the trucks initially going to go into the mine. Are there people working in the mine? Yeah, that's very chilling. You know, and looking at the size of this complex, that means that there's got to be, I would say, at least three dozen people, if not more, working in the coal mines when it collapsed. And we never hear, luckily, no one was hurt. Which means that this episode may have just killed... Forty odd people. It it is such a thrilling episode and so macabre, except we don't get to hear their story. We hear the story about Percy, who you know oh. nearly became scrap metal.
2: Yeah, it's very macabre, isn't it? This
1: episode, I. I it is fantastic, okay? It has got the macabre tone, but it's only there when you actually think about it. Because it, it it's only when you go, hang on, those trucks were supposed to go somewhere, and that goes... Oh, yeah. This is such a fun episode to watch. It is one that I used to watch on my Series 5 DVD over and over
4: again. It's a lot of fun to watch.
1: And I adore it. Um, And that is why I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10.
2: Oh,
3: starting off
4: strong. Yeah, very strong.
2: And you know what? I'm going to follow Connor. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 as well. Uh, I think really the only couple of niggles I have are that one, just like, it takes a very long time to work its way up to the good bit and also when the trucks are making their way through the mine it sort of reaches the end of the set and you can see a... uh, yeah, mm, yeah, the light coming the up there, but other than that, you know... Or, <laughs> or than... is is that the truck realising its
3: fate and he goes, I see the light. <laughs> <It's>
2: <laughs> but no, otherwise it's a peerless episode, so yeah, it's a 10 out of 10.
1: Even though it does take that time to reach the climax, the time leading up to it is still fantastically done. That montage
3: was so enjoyable. Well, Parry, I'm going to follow on after you and say that this episode has everything, it has that awesome montage at the start with Percy going about all of his jobs and you get to see so many places on Sodor, you have some wonderful interjections at the roundhouse again, and you have a spectacular uh, crash and a series of incidences that have a real sense of impending doom, but there is a happy ending, for that reason I'm also going to give it a 10.
1: Hastings?
4: Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I do really like the, the montage at the beginning. You know, it's good to see the engines be engines, you know? And uh, I thought that I was going to give this a 9 out of 10 at first, but, but, uh, but talking with you guys uh, kind of changed my mind. I, I thought at first that the canvas barrier might have been a plot convenience, but then I thought about it and realized... Well that's probably like a like a a, a, a safety a, a precaution that a lot of minds have anyway. So yeah,
2: I I think it's a 10 out of 10. Okay, so this is history. Yes. Where we're witnessing here cuz this is the second story that we've given a 10 out of 10.
1: All two. And not only that. Yes. Okay, cuz the first story that um all hosts agreed on 10 out of 10 was the flying kipper. Yes. But not yeah. only that. These are four people who have given it a 10 out of 10.
2: Yes, even our special guest is in agreement with us, so there.
3: It's a good episode, go watch it. (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
2: (laughs) So,
1: in the current standing of Right On Track History, Put Upon Percy is the highest rated episode. Yes. Wow. And I feel on that note, we need to move to our musical interlude which is actually written by our guest host himself hastings would you like to introduce it
4: yes uh, this is my cover of a uh, really useful engine which is done uh which is based on the tatmer version and the original version
2: fantastic <laughs> let's give it a twirl
0: tell you so, he huffs and puffs and whistles, rushing to and fro, he's the really useful engine we adore, he's a really useful engine you know, cause the fan controller he told him so, now he's got a branch line to call his family.
3: Welcome back to the Right on Track podcast. What you just heard there was uh, Headmaster Hastings' wonderful rendition of Really Useful Engine done in its original and Thomas and the Magic Railroad versions fused together. Uh, Hastings, thank you so much for that uh, wonderful piece of music. I definitely enjoyed it greatly.
4: No problem. Uh, it, it, it's been a, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, been a pleasure.
1: But we are not at the end of our episode just yet. Uh, So far, we've reviewed Bar and Put Upon Percy, which just received a perfect 10 out of 10 score for all the four hosts on the podcast today. And we are now moving on to our final story, which was Headmaster Hastings, uh, one he was especially looking out for, which was Toby and the Flood.
2: Yes indeed and in the clip you're about to hear Toby is uh, well he's in another disaster themed story and he is in a great deal of peril
5: Percy was waiting anxiously for Toby by the bridge the river had risen so high that the bridge was in danger of collapsing Toby arrived The dam's breaking up ''We must find high ground!'' shouted Toby's driver. ''Your only chance is to cross the bridge!'' called Percy. ''It doesn't look safe to me!'' ''Well, Toby?'' ''It's our only chance!'' said his driver. ''If the dam breaks, we'll be done for!'' Toby was halfway across the bridge when disaster struck. Toby, we'll follow him on our line. It meets the river further down. As Toby floated helplessly on the floodwaters, they passed a sign that made them shudder: "Beware the waterfall." If we go over that waterfall, we're doomed.
4: Basically, the fact that they they say we're doomed, you know, like we're done for in in a in a kid-friendly show about talking trains, like it's as close to admitting that, like death is is basically a, a problem in 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 the mm. in in the sodor that's absolutely world, you
1: know? the case we spoke about and put upon percy on how it's very macabre when you think about it but toby and the flood just says mm. it
2: yeah yeah i mean it's like th- yeah like like straight up uh toby we're gonna die Yeah, to- to- toby's driver
3: <laughs> it's nice knowing you toby's
2: driver is coming to terms with his own mortality <laughs>
3: And Toby's
1: there going, I wonder what good driftwood I'd make. (laughs) So... Toby and the Flood uh, is a wonderful storm-themed episode in Series 5. And it is entirely based upon uh, water has risen along the banks uh, by Ulfstead. It is still raining. A flood occurs a dam breaks and what happens afterwards it is an absolutely thrilling episode with fantastic practical effects Um, it has got a brilliant music score brilliant camera angles fantastic sets it is a really enjoyable episode to watch
2: oh for sure, the visuals in this story are among the best, not just in series 5 but overall yeah, the moss on the rocks
4: and the, the, the water, like like uh, like like mm. how fast it's flowing. You know, it's windy. Yeah, it it, it looks really good.
1: Mm. So uh, the episode opens up uh, at Ulfstead, uh, where how do you we know, know it's Ulfstead? Add a guess. Um, we don't entirely know. <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah, Ada I guess it it's supposed to be the same location uh seen in uh, Thomas and Percy's Christmas adventure slash mountain adventure mm. um the the town they saved in the mountains right. which would make sense for their a dam to be up in the mountains mm-hmm. uh, but yes. Uh, It is raining everywhere. Rain, rain, rain,
2: wet, wet, wet. Hmm. Which, yeah, seeing these images, living in Australia, having just come off one of the worst droughts in recent memory and a huge bushfire season, I kind of envy the residents of Ulsted at the moment.
1: (laughs) Very much so. Um, And it's just... That opening scene, because a whole bunch of Thomas episodes, they start very much with, you know, oh, it was a wonderful day on Sodor, and oh, what a great day. This one opens up in in a very much cold open by going, it is wet. It's a very bleak Mm -hmm. opening. Everything um, is already bad. Yes. And it's going to get worse. It sets the tone.
4: Not Mm. your average Thomas episode.
1: Mm. Not only, it's almost like a uh, Greek tragedy, if you think about it, on how most tragedies, um, they, you know, start okay and they go bad. Take Romeo and Juliet. However, Greek tragedies start where things are bad. For example, Women of Troy by Euripides. And then they get worse. This episode opens up with, it is wet, it is dangerous. Water along the uh, bank, uh, riverbank, has just risen. Mm. And you see Percy and Toby looking miserable as they're covered in rain.
5: Mm. And
4: that's just at the start of the episode. Speaking of rain, uh, I, I, I just have to say that, like... I do really like that this is still like like the classic series, you know, like before they they copped out with uh, with with uh, like filters overlaid the footage. Like they're actually oh. getting like in this yeah. episode and in Cranky Bugs, they're actually getting the set wet. You can see yeah. water like like dripping off of of surfaces.
0: Hmm. Yes,
1: it is so well done, but um. Of course, it is raining, and Toby has been sent to investigate the dam. Uh, He he crosses an old wooden bridge on his way to the dam, um, and then when he reaches it, Harold is there investigating it with him. Hmm. And as he's crossing the dam, uh, the dam starts to break apart. Water begins to leak through the moss-covered bricks, and... You know, the the music amplifies uh, as the strings and brass go up in notes as each individual stream appears. The music
4: in this episode is phenomenal. Like like the way that like um like 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 Mike and Junior like like do something really cool here that uh, uh like 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 something similar to what Hans Zimmer did in the score Dunkirk where it sounds mm. like like it sounds like the music is modulating higher and higher and higher and higher and higher but like uh but but uh but 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 but, but uh but musical notes go in a loop so like like even if it sounds like you're you're going from a to b to c to g to you know e to like 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 a to b to c mm. to e to f to g like you can't go any higher, so you just go back to A, B, C, E. You know, hmm. like because because it sound the music in Toby and the Flood sounds like it's constantly modulating, but it's actually just looping.
1: That's really interesting, because like coming to think of the music in the episode, it constantly seems to increase, increasing with the tension, but then it doesn't actually seem to get higher that's really interesting thank you hastings and
4: that's like a pretty common like auditory illusion that composers use in horror movie soundtracks to to try to you know uh uh demonstrate rising tension you know
1: Mm. but yes as uh toby begins to cross the dam he sees it's about to break, so he quickly so he quickly makes his way back to the town uh, in order to warn everyone, and he meets Percy at that old wooden bridge he was crossing before, where uh, the following information is communicated. The dam is about to break. We need to get to higher ground, and the only way Toby can be safe is if he crosses that wooden bridge.
2: And, of course, what follows is Toby making his way across the bridge, the dam breaking, the water rising rapidly, and one of the most spectacular shots... I I know I've said this already, but it is one of the most spectacular shots in the history of the show. Just seeing that wooden bridge slowly break apart, float its way down the river, and then seeing Toby's absolutely horrified face as he is helpless... (laughs) <laughs> to stop himself from,
4: yeah. Yeah, yeah, the filmmaking in that episode is so well done that it, it, it doesn't even bother me that, that Toby is somehow floating.
2: Yeah,
3: yes, <laughs> exactly. This whole sequence has a real Tugs vibe about it. It does feel like something that belongs in that universe with the sense of danger that's happening. That's probably due to the water,
4: it, it, yeah, it probably brings, like, upriver to mind, you know? Yeah, it does. Yeah. The, the logs careening down the river. The river, sorry. <laughs> and, and, like, the thing is, is you're
1: right, Parry, on how in this situation right now, Toby's helpless. He can't do anything to change his situation. In every other accident and scenario we've seen in the show, the engine's at least have some control over what they can do. In this scenario, the only thing that Toby can do is stay
2: there. Quite right. But he does have help in the form of Harold the helicopter and his friend Percy, because Harold is the one who drops a rope down to Toby's crew, who attach it to his buffers, and then Harold drops the other end of the rope down to Percy, who has his buffers attached to the other end of the rope. And it's up to him to pull Toby, his crew and the, what, well, what remains of the bridge to shore, to safety.
1: Mm. And then eventually, uh, the flood waters, uh, dissipate. Toby is put back on the rails and they have a big party to celebrate the engine's bravery and the dam is reconstructed.
2: Now, there are a couple of issues I take with this, you know, last third of the story. One is um, how could... How is it possible that Percy can pull Toby back against, you know, the floodwaters and his weight and the water that's on the rails? And the second issue is... When the story concludes, Percy remarks to Toby, I don't know whether I could have been quite as brave as you. Didn't we just cover, in this very podcast, another story in which Percy was quite brave? Exactly. Exactly. Percy's
1: very
3: stubborn, though. We've got to remember that. Percy has got self-esteem issues.
2: But he's already demonstrated his Mm. bravery in this... In not just the last story, but this story, too... I, I mean, for him to, you know, hold up the weight of Toby and drag him back to shore, that's no mean feat. Oh, yeah.
1: Now, there, there are a few uh, different notes I would like to have about this episode. Um, For one, why does Toby need to cross the dam? Because yes. the driver says that we need to reach the other side. I don't understand why. Um, Two... Why are there train tracks over a dam? And why aren't there fences? Yeah. Because literally, Toby's driver is one misplaced step away from literally swimming with the fishes.
2: Yep.
3: You assume they're gonna walk on the dam. They're probably not going to. Hmm. And like and like you'd think that like
4: like like uh I don't know, like like signalmen would, would think ahead like <laughs> Oh, uh, well, with this weather, there there shouldn't be trains traveling down this line in case something happens. Mm.
1: And let's also bring up the idea on how the dam conveniently didn't start to break until Toby got there. Until mm. Toby was actually on top of the fragile dam wall. So Toby probably broke the dam.
3: And he's a light engine as well.
1: Oh, yeah, but he's light, but he's still an engine. He still has got a heavy metal chassis with a metal boiler. The Mm. only light thing apart him is his um, wooden shell. So his weight is probably the straw that broke the dam's back in this scenario that caused it to begin to leak. Um it's quite possible. Now now I I I'm I'm putting a call out to the community here. I want behind the scenes shots of this episode specifically on what was on the other side of the dam.
2: I'll tell you what was on the other side of the dam, Connor.
1: Is it water?
2: Yes, it is. How did okay. you know? Okay. Have you ever seen a dam? I I have. (laughs) I've walked alongside the
1: top of many a dam before. um, Explored them, had fun. They're they're amazing architecture. But Hmm. this one specifically, I want to see, you know, how much room Toby actually had on that dam.
2: Hmm. Well, well, I'm guessing not much. (laughs) If you think about it, a lot of... Modern dams, especially, they have this special um, uh, construction at their wall where it's rather narrow at the top but it's quite wide at the bottom.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: And that's something that we don't see on this particular dam. It's just a wall. Yeah. Which appears to be made of, you know, some sort of mud. Mortar. (laughs) Yes. It looks like uh, like an old dam too
4: that would have been built sometime in the the late nineteenth century. But mm. well, that's fair.
3: Yes. So when they rebuild it, they probably would have engineered it more efficiently to make it wider at the bottom and more narrow. The, the shot end. of when
1: it's rebuilt looks nothing like it. They're seeing themselves up for disaster.
3: Oh yeah, this is pre-roof <laughs> Sodor. Just a roof over all of Sodor. Stop the rain. Um, oh, no, I said
1: Ruth. Oh, sorry. In, uh... um, now, when Toby is running away from the dam, um, he has already fulfilled his current mission, which is to warn the people uh, that the dam is breaking. Because he's communicated it to Percy, who is safely on the other side of the river. And can uh, run away to the town. Next, note Harold. Yeah, to- Harold as well. Harold was there. Harold was investigating it and inspecting the dam. Just have Harold do the job. Huh. Next, they say that they need to get to high ground. Now, surely there's high ground where the track met the dam and i'm assuming they need to get to high ground to avoid floodwaters so they could have just stayed up there but i understand they needed to get to the town on that note at um at the end of the climax toby is sitting alongside the dam below the floodwaters essentially which means that if the dam if all that area that they were on before is going to overflow, well then Toby and Percy are both in danger here. Third note, why didn't Percy back up and give Toby room?
2: Uh, well, maybe, maybe Percy just wanted to stay there to make sure that, uh, Toby was okay and safe to get across. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just back up a bit in, so that way he can actually get there. Well, Percy, he he could have done that once Toby actually reached the other half of the bridge. He didn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to do it, you know.
1: No, no, that's understandable. But then Toby moved so slow across the bridge. I can understand that in fear, you may be cautious. Um, He didn't have reason to cross the bridge because... Yuri communicated that the dam was going to break, but that's fine.
2: Mm. <sighs> We've we found a lot of holes in this episode, haven't we? we, we I try not to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> but Like, I mean, there,
1: there are plenty of holes in the episode. It's still good. Um, plot mm. convenience, there is suddenly a waterfall there. Um, despite there technically being two in the row, one where the dam was... And then the second one, where the um, waterfall is, that Toby's about to fall down. But then on that note, where's Olsted? Is Olsted down below where that waterfall is? Because it's the same river that we see by the town.
2: It could. I. My guess is it was further back up the line. But where up the line? Well, I don't know. Somewhere up the line, in between the bridge and where Percy rescued Toby. True, but we never see it. But, yeah, I can
1: sort of understand that. Maybe? Question mark? Uh,
2: I, I don't think we're getting anywhere. we we're not. Hastings, since you um, wanted to come on this episode, especially to talk about this story, what is it that stands out to you most of all about Toby and the flood.
4: Well, there's not really that much of a story. It's just you know four and a half minutes of Toby almost dying. You know, it, like 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 like, uh, like like they spent like uh, like about <laughs> a good seventy five percent of the episode. You know, like uh, like on 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 Toby and and his and on Toby's peril. You know. Like, like, I think that's what sticks out to me. And then, you know, the, the, the music, the, the season five yeah. danger theme.
1: Now, there
4: is one other
1: thing about this episode, and it's headcanon thinking. Um, and it almost ties into one of the more recent episodes of the show as well, because on Toby's branch line is supposed to be an old wooden bridge. Uh, it's one that he was afraid of. And constantly is. However, I have a feeling that Toby, who's crossed many a bridge before and he doesn't seem so scared of it, got PTSD from the old wooden bridge that he crossed that then led him
3: towards a waterfall. Yeah, in retrospect, like Toby has had a lot of accidents involving bridges. So maybe this episode is why
1: this. Trim, who has survived multiple closed lines, who has been in storms and had
3: windmills, collapse and caught by lightning. You have um, Toby's tightrope. You have Toby and the flood. You have Toby and the lamb. Three instances right there.
1: Yeah. And this one is, I feel, what triggered them. We should stay on firm ground. Toby doesn't work well with bridges. Not only that, but in Toby's tightrope, it was rushing water and floodwaters that caused the bridge to initially collapse. Which means that twice Toby has been the victim of horrible bridge architecture and lots and lots of water. By this point, he's probably going, "Oh, not again." <laughs> But you also need to keep in mind that this bridge is very, very uh, close and downriver to a dam. So I feel extra consideration should be made when a big body of water is being held back by a fair few, well, (laughs) not a fair few bricks, but, you know, a few bricks.
2: And all lots and lots of water.
1: And then you just put a little wooden thing down below which is the only way to get back from the
2: dam to the town
4: that's almost like a cosmic level misfortune
2: <laughs> it is um coming off of what connor said before though um i think it's important to note that most bridges aren't designed to accommodate flooding of the nature we see in this story Mm -mm. so to claim that it's poor bridge architecture in this instance i think is incorrect
1: i i i feel you know that the bridge needs to be that bit better and there are no preventions for that dam to break it just breaks you need to have stuff to break apart the water to stop if it does break a very bad accident which does occur Despite all the holes in this episode, I still enjoy it. and as hast- and as Hastings, as you say, this episode is 75 percent of Toby going, "I'm going to die." And that is amazing because so many times these engines have some power. this time, the only choice Toby has is... Do I drive off the bridge, Or do I just wait to go over the waterfall?
4: Yeah, yeah, Toby and the Flood, it it sticks out to me because I think it just might be the first horror movie I've ever seen.
3: (laughs) No, I think mine was Thomas Percy and the Dragon.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ghost Train,
3: maybe? Yeah.
4: I mean, in terms of, like, the first... Thomas episode to make me want to run behind my couch.
1: And it is a scary episode. Mm, Yeah. On, you know, Toby could just be reduced to splinters in a matter of seconds.
2: So, rankings. I was initially going to give Toby and the Flood an 8 out of 10, but, like we often do on this podcast, talking about it, it has helped me to appreciate it even more. So with that in mind, I'm going to upgrade it to a nine out of ten.
3: Oh well, Parry, I also have really enjoyed talking about this episode and again, like Put Upon Percy, it's one of those episodes that's sustained, I guess, in my childhood's mind's eye when it first came out. And there's a lot of um emotion I guess connected to it because of that factor but looking at it as a story it's epic it's got everything and it's also really nice to see toby have an episode on this scale as well so i'm going to give it a 8.5
1: and and i'm going to follow off of that by giving it a 9 as well it's a really good episode despite all the little nitpickings i gave it you know it A fantastic episode. The music is astounding. The practical effects and how brave they were with Toby's model. He is literally on, I'm assuming, a controlled piece of moving driftwood as his eyes are moving surrounded by water. So many things could go wrong and they made it work. So it's a nine out of ten for me.
2: Okay, and that just leaves our good friend Headmaster Hastings. What would you give Toby and the Flood out of ten?
4: Yes. Well, uh, granted, you know, it's
2: full of holes and,
4: you know, uh, logic errors, but it's, I, I think it's very entertaining. Uh, the shots are really good. The the drama is really good. The music is really good. Um,
2: I, I give it a eight, 8.5 out of 10. So we've got two nines, two eight and a halves. So yeah, it's a solid, it's a solid episode. So it uh, averages out to about 8.7.5. That it does. <laughs> look at you, big brain Connor.
3: Aww. He's got those big brains, he eats those big brains. I've got brains. a calculator,
2: that's what I've got. <laughs>
1: now, I'm afraid that brings us to the end of episode 35 on of Right on Track. It has been an absolutely amazing episode. Uh, just for clarification, what have we covered?
2: Well, today we've covered the stories Bar, Put Upon Percy and Toby and the Floods, all absolute, I know this is a cliche in this podcast, but they are absolute classic Thomas stories and I'm very happy that we've finally got around to covering all of them.
1: Yes. And of course we made history today with a 40 out of 40 score yes uh, put upon percy which is absolutely unheard of and amazing
2: that it is
1: when
3: will it happen again we don't know
1: that wouldn't be possible without our wonderful guest host here headmaster hastings thank you for having me guys It's it's been a pleasure
2: and it's been a pleasure for us as well we've had an absolute blast having you on the podcast um He's hoping we can have you on again sometime soon.
1: Yes. Um, of course, if you want to see what Hastings has been up to, you can find his Twitter and his SoundCloud and his YouTube channel uh, in the little uh, description information box of the podcast. Uh, Hastings, is there anything you want to quickly promote?
4: Uh, yeah, well, um, I got a, a, an album of 12 of my vocal covers on Bandcamp. And uh yeah it, it, I guess I guess that can be checked. the strawberry grove sessions
1: fantastic uh we'll be sure to make sure that that is in the description box as well, and we'll see you guys next time, where we will be covering another bunch of Thomas episodes. What
2: will they be? Oh, those stories will be uh, haunted Henry. Double Teething Trouble, Stepney Gets Lost, and Toby's Discovery. It's got a spooky theme. The Ooh. next story.
1: Cry- a, a fair few spooky little events. But until that mm. time
4: comes, I'm still Connor. I'm still Parry. I'm still Denim. I'm still Headmaster Hastings. And this has been the
1: round Track Podcast. Adios, guys.
0: Fare thee well. Hooray. <laughs> you'll be listening to the right on track podcast hosted by tom parry connor jonas and tom denham to keep up to date and on schedule with right on track you can follow them on their various social media platforms platform one is facebook Facebook.com slash Right On Track Thomas podcast. Platform two is Instagram, sin underscore Right On Track. Platform three is Twitter, at ontrackthomas. Platform four is email, rightontrackthomas at gmail.com. And on Platform 5, for more show details, visit sin.org.au slash Right on Track Thomas podcast. The theme was composed by Headmaster Hastings. Edited by Tom Denham. Produced by Sin Media.